welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blum and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. I am so grateful that Nish Patel, who is the owner of Del Rossi's Cheese Steaks and Co., is joining us for Food Farms and Chefs today. Um, and it's a huge deal because this week coming up is going to be National Cheese Steak Day. So it's even more important to bring you on and to you know talk to you about that particular Philadelphia favorite. But thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. So, I mean, as we wait for, for Gene to um, to join us, because initially I was going to have Gene lead this, Gene Plum, who is my co-host, who is such a great guy. Um, he'll jump on at some point in time. But in the meantime, can you let our listeners know how you got started in this business? Because it's kind of like really terrible timing when you had to open up. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Del Rossi's has been around since 2013, and uh, I acquired it uh, with my my family in 2020, in March of 2020, to be specific. Uh, one of the best timings to buy a business. Uh, uh, it, it was definitely a certain, uh, certainly a challenging time, and uh, you know we overcame it, but uh, definitely had a, a very quick go at learning the business and learning how to deal with COVID. Uh, within a matter of weeks. It was definitely very challenging. And uh, I'm glad we went through the experience, but I never want to experience that again. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, and, you know, it's it's a good thing that you had a previously established business. So, you know, at least the neighborhood knew the name, knew the brand. So that makes a huge difference. Um, you know, however, yeah. you acquiring it, um, obviously, through wrenching your plans. But, um what was it like because you went straight into the pandemic where you would, you know, were just acclimate, like you were ready to open up, do the whole grand opening, but you had to, you know, from day one, moment one, acclimate to the pandemic and, you know, work as a takeout place. What was that? Yeah, like? it, it was definitely very challenging. I mean, you know, the we bought the business uh, knowing that it performs at a certain level without COVID. Um and uh, day one, that business had dropped 50% because uh, the business had relied on the government building across the street that uh, administers the Social Security. Um, and they had shut that building down the first or second week, I want to say. And uh, they were a big part of our business. Even till this day, our lunch is not as busy as it used to be. However, uh, by making like small tweaks to the business, we uh, completely threw our pizza recipe out and we redid our pizza. And because of doing things like that, focusing on quality, focusing on service, we were able to not only get those sales back on night at night and dinner time, we were also uh, able to exceed the previous. Uh, ownership sales just because we had uh, put a lot of effort into improving the quality of the food that we serve. Um, but it was not an easy task. Uh, first few months were challenging to say the least because our sales had dropped off so much yeah. because the lunch business had completely disappeared on us. 
but you know we definitely came out on the other end of it much stronger um so definitely appreciate the staff for stepping up and you know realizing that we need to make a change and uh you know uh, we're definitely stronger now because of it and yeah. more resilient i would say yeah. and that's and that's a very very good thing um now I'm, I want to say, cause you had kind of mentioned it, but I know that part of what, you know, created that enhancement of your menu and what you were offering was that you brought on chef, uh, Gregorio Fierro, I want to say his yeah. name was, yes. Um, so what were some of the changes that he implemented? So, uh, I, you know, I was never a big fan of the pizza at Del Rossi's before I had acquired the business. I knew that it was one of the spots of the business that I wasn't a big fan of. Uh, it just was very basic corner shop pizza and uh, super doughy and soft and, you know, overly cheese, cheesy. And it just wasn't good. Yeah. Uh, and you were striving to be great. And especially with, you know, people's palate changing with, uh, uh, Dave Portnoy from Barstool introducing people to like, you know, the new, the style that he likes, which is very crispy and light and which is what, and frankly, everyone should like because, you know, it's made the right way. Um, and, you know, I wanted to go for that. And, you know, I, I didn't have the baking background or the experience to just make the changes myself. So I had to ask for help. So I was looking for some type of pizza consultant for a while. And I finally met Gregorio uh, through our cheese under, uh grind cheese. And uh, Gregorio helped, uh, you know, he he's like, how crazy do you want to get with this? And I'm like, you know, we want one of the best products in the city, if not the country, you know, help me do that. How can I do it? Because I know I have the work ethic to make it happen. I just don't know how to do it. Yeah. So, you know, Little by little, he showed us changes that we could make to improve the recipe. And, you know, we started implementing these changes, uh, I want to say uh, 2021, like middle of 2021. And there's definitely been like challenges and like, you know, and we thought it was too chewy when we made the changes in the beginning and we had to work on that. And it's just the fermentation process of making pizza dough is very delicate. You really have to nurture it. And, you know, we're, we still work on it every day and we've become pretty good at it now, but you know, there's always a learning curve with this stuff. When the weather changes, you know, it takes us three days to make our dough. Uh, and, because of that, it's uh, it's super light and super digestible, um, won't spike your blood sugar, you won't feel super bloated after it, and it's super crispy and light. It, you know, I can go on and on about it, but the behind-the-scenes work that goes into making this product um, is very intense and very calculated and, you know, very thorough. Yeah. And I mean, I know that flour, like every ingredient counts. And I know that, you know, the, the best flour that you can get out there is imported from Italy and it's uh, the OO um, flour, which I I think on your website, I read that you import um, the flour or whatnot to, in order to create that dip that dough, that perfect dough and that consistency that you're trying to get to. So um, what other, what other items, you know, am I correct in, in that? Yeah, for one? yeah, definitely. So what the, we use uh, Italian flour and a blend of American flour as well. Um, but everything that we use is uh, 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 bromade and bleach free. So everything is unbleached and bromide free. And uh, uh, we try to use yeah, we try to use a lower protein flour uh, just because it gives us 
Uh, it is more difficult to work with, but that's just how crazy we are about quality. Uh, when you have a lower protein flour, it's just easier on your stomach. It's easier to digest, uh, but it's harder to work with. It's very delicate. So when you are stretching a large pie, it could rip on you. You could have thin mm. spots and those things we worked on over time to try to perfect. And we still work on it to perfect it. Uh, but we use uh, uh, imported olive oil, uh, kosher salt, uh, uh, malted barley flour to help give it a darker color. That's the baker's secret that everyone you know talks about in the baking world. Um, but a lot of it's just time. It's just putting in uh, time and letting it rest and ferment, um, and you know, event not rushing the process. If you rush the process, it just doesn't turn out as good as you want it to. And we've tried that, you know, like how can we ferment it quicker? It's just that the dough is going to do what it's going to do. You just have to account for the amount of time it's going to take. Yeah. Uh, you can't rush this process because what, uh, well, comparatively what we used to do at Del Rossi's was we'd make the pizza dough at seven o'clock in the morning and it would be ready by lunch. It would just have so much yeast in it to get it ready fast. And it, it's just super soft because the proteins haven't relaxed. They haven't broken down. And it's just, it's not good to do it the old traditional way the corner pizza shops do it, where you just not to talk crap about any pizza makers out there. It's just, you know, if you're going to do it the right way, this is the way to do it is giving it time and, you know, uh, and caring for the product and not just, you know, slinging pies after making the dough uh, in the morning and just serving it at lunch, you know? Yeah. Um. So getting into some of, obviously you have your base that we've thoroughly discussed, which is the pizza dough. Um, what are some of the options that you guys offer there? Um, uh, we do, uh, obviously the traditional pie, all of our sauce is made with Jer Jersey tomatoes and, uh, uh, between tomatoes. Um, uh, and, uh, we offer, uh, uh, like white pizzas that are, uh, like specialty made. We do this pizza called the long hot special. It's like a very super Philly pizza. Um, it's got long hots, uh, onions, a sausage and a garlic crust. So we just rub the crust with olive oil and garlic. And it's super crispy, uh, charred, and uh, it's just so light. Like you bite into it, it's like, I don't know how to describe that. Like, it's like almost like a croissant. It falls apart in your mouth, but it's so crispy. I mean, um, <laughs> tell me something that I wouldn't love. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite pizza. Uh, that was like, you know, we came up with that. We were just experimenting when we started doing this dough. Um, then we like are really good at, uh, we've gotten pretty good at making strombolis uh we came up with this uh stromboli called the philly roll and it's uh our pizza dough wrapped uh with our cheesesteak meat uh long hots garlic oil um and cooper sharp cheese and it's it it's just like a cheesesteak but in our pizza dough and it's so crispy and so light uh it's probably uh the second best cheesesteak in our store, right? Like our cheesesteak is really good, but this Stromboli definitely puts up a great fight with it. So. Yeah. Uh. <clears throat> now I want to also, cause I mean, as I said, the, the national cheesesteak day is coming up on March. Um, I forget March 22nd or sorry, 24th. And um, yeah. I believe it's Friday. So, I mean, even, even better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um so what are some of the cheesesteaks that you guys offer and how how does your do your cheesesteaks um differentiate 
against others? Um, obviously, we have the traditional cheesesteak, you know, the Philly cheesesteak, which is just uh, ribeye and uh, uh, onions, Cooper Sharp. And uh, we've gotten creative with sauces. Uh, we've uh, done a Chipotle cheesesteak. We make the sorry, that's my car. I don't know if you, if you heard the beeping. No, no, uh, I didn't. Okay. Um, we have a Chipotle chicken cheesesteak and a Chipotle cheesesteak, which is a house-made Chipotle sauce. Um, it's uh, We use real Chipotle peppers and we make a sauce out of it. And, uh, you know, when we cook the steak, we put the sauce in there. And when we cook the chicken, we put the sauce in there on the grill. And it's it's like super spicy and tangy. It's really good. So that's something that we've created. We're kind of working on uh, other sauces to come up uh, with more flavor profiles. But the, the traditional cheesesteak, you know, it's like we cut all of the meat in, in-house. We get ribeyes from a, a domestic farm that, you know, really takes care of their cattle. Everything is grass-fed, uh, pasture-raised, so the cows are humanely treated. You know, who knew if you treat your animals uh, humanely, they'll yield a better product. Uh, so we yeah. have like a premium ribeye that we have, and uh, we're w- one of the only few restaurants in the country that have access to this ribeye. And we take that ribeye and we shave it in the restaurant every day. Uh, so that's definitely what differentiates us. I know we've, we've gotten offers from many like food suppliers of like pre-cut ribeyes and, you know, form ribeyes and stuff like that. And like, you know, we get samples dropped off to us all the time. We try everything just because you don't want to be like, you know, what if there is a better product out there? And we try everything and nothing has really like, we do blind tests. So we're not like, you know, uh, I guess bias, right? Mm. Um, so we'll do blind tests with the whole staff and the staff always picks our meat. Um, and we've been through this probably 20, 30 times in the last three years. We'll, we'll compare our meat to any other meat that's out there in blind tests and our meat always wins. Um, there's been times where it was like close, but you know, uh, it's just a good product and we don't want to sacrifice quality, uh, in order to save labor or time or money. You know, it's just, it, it is, uh, what it is the owners the old owners had this meat and we kept it the same way the only thing that we've done is uh we now use cooper sharp cheese instead of uh just processed american cheese yeah Um, which was an upgrade that we gave the cheesesteak and people love it so yeah and i mean you you can't go wrong with cooper sharp i i know a lot of um restaurateurs utilize cooper cooper sharp for their cheesesteaks and it does it makes it makes a difference but it sounds like all all around all encompassing everything that you're putting into is is thought through within the taste profile because no matter what you it boils down to like your ingredients matter so the freshest the most healthiest you know meats and vegetables and you know whatnot that you utilize it makes a difference to like when you're you know when you're creating that profile for your food and the consistency and it sounds like that's what you guys are are you know always after so that's that would add to why you um are so popular yeah. And, uh, you know, our customers definitely will give us feedback and we try to collect as much feedback as possible. One of my big things was that when I got to Del Rossi's, the menu was just so large and there were all these like frozen menu items, not going to lie. Just, you know, I was like, you know, if we're running this restaurant and we have this high quality cheesesteak, why are we carrying all this frozen stuff? 
right? Yeah. So I played this game of how many things can we get rid of the menu and, you know, not have the customers complain. In, in the beginning, I started picking things off every week. I would pick one item, take it off the menu and, and sales didn't really drop off too much. Uh, you know, uh, the last quarter of last year, we got rid of salads and nothing in the salads was frozen or anything. It's just that we weren't that great at it. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, and I didn't have the time to focus on salads. I wanted to focus on making great pizza and great cheesesteaks. And, you know, if you're trying to be good at like 20 different things, you're going to be average at all of them. So my thing was like, why don't we just focus on things that are good in the yeah. restaurant that we specialize in and just give it 100% instead of giving everything 75%, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's what we committed to. And, you know, sometimes customers do complain that, hey, like, I loved your salad and we apologize and tell them, you know, this is not what we're good at. We specialize in pizza and cheesesteaks and that's absolutely 100% what we want to focus on. Yeah. Um, and, so. and that matters. Um, now, moving forward in the last minute or so that we have you, um, what what are some of the things that people can look forward to and how can they find you online and in person? Um, online at delrossi'srestaurant.com. Uh, uh, we have an Instagram, Del Rossi Cheesesteak Co. Uh, I think we have like 10,000 followers now, which is pretty cool. A lot of people support us. Um and uh, we're available on DoorDash, Uber Eats. Um, we also, obviously, if you want to save a little bit of money, you could pick it up in the restaurant. That's the best way because we have a dining room. Um, if you want to experience the food fresh, you definitely should order and eat it right then and there instead of getting it delivered to you 20 minutes later, you know? Yeah, because um, then it kind of gets let, like sogginess from like sitting inside of, of uh, yeah, a Yeah, exactly. Or... And you know, no matter how many holes you put in boxes to get steam out, it's just not going to be as good as when you have it right out of the oven or right off the grill, you know? Yeah. And that's why we have a dining room. Uh, a lot of our customers do choose to eat there, especially on the weekends. We see a lot of people eating in too. But takeout and delivery is still biggest piece of our business right now. Yeah. Just like any other pizza shop in the country. <laughs> so. So are you going to run any specials for National Cheesesteak Day? Uh, not running any specials just because, uh, you know, we, we put in so much time into our product. Uh, but uh, we are like launching that stromboli that I was telling you this week, that Philly oh, stromboli. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of thought about, you know, we were like, when should we launch it? And we were thinking this week. So we launched it this week. It's just, uh, we're test, uh, we had tested a few times just to make sure it was done right. And this, this is the week we're launching it. Uh, we're, I believe we're going live with it online tomorrow, okay. uh, just to kind of get, get customers to give it a shot. And, uh, yeah, that's what we're excited for, for national cheesesteak there. And I, th I think it should be a big hit because we're a cheesesteak and a pizza shop. So this is the best of both worlds, getting people get to try our homemade crust and, you know, obviously the great beef that we use. So. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nish, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And I look forward to swinging by and trying that stromboli. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, you definitely have to. And you have to try that long hot special that I told you about. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, thanks for having me. Appreciate no it. No problem. Thank you for joining us. And, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye bye. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Gene Blum and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2.
and at wwdbam.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. I would love to introduce you to Jamal, Jamala. <clears throat> Jam- Jamila. 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 Sorry. Yes, I love mispronouncing. Yes, I love to mispronounce names. It's uh, oh no, that's okay. It's a, it's another language name, so it's totally fine. And then your last name is a family business name, so Bilal. If I that's if easy. I yes, yes. that's easy. So, yep. Exactly. So Bilal's Bakery and Deli, which is located in Jenkintown, PA. Um, so I know that you guys actually this isn't your first business endeavor as a family. Um, you know. So how did you guys, how did your father get into this business? Um, because I know that he, it's, he has a deep history within the, the culinary community. Um, actually, I have more of a deep history. So, okay, so my dad is, um, he became a baker when he was like, I would say maybe in his teens, his late teens. And he was introduced to it. Uh, kind of like ironically because he was in the nation of Islam and it was a job that he needed. It was, a, it was a job opening for a person just to take out the pies from the oven. And so um, he jumped on it. He was there. He was present. And, and then from there, kind of an interest came in because he happened to be good at it. Um, he didn't really have a former trade or career before then. Um, and so he stayed there working through his first years of his marriage and got a lot of um, kind of like, I would say, foundational training in the basics of baking. And then from there, they relocated. This was in New York State. So from there, as a family, they relocated to Philadelphia. And so since that was the one trade that he started with, he he stayed with that. But the the gift really came, the passion really came when he got a job with a particular bakery on the main line called Scandia Bakery. And that was a, um, I think, a Scandinavian baker a Swedish baker. He was a Swedish baker and he trained under him. And that is where he learned a lot of true of his unique skills, his European skills. Um, and I think that kind of opened up his interest in baking um, and doing it as a profession. Then um, him and my mom did some things together, just like baking out of the home, decorated cakes, that type of thing. But all along the way, there was children coming. So uh, it wasn't, you know, I'm going to speak, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why I said in the beginning that I'm the one truly with the the, 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 bake, the um, culinary history is um, all along the while children were coming and, you know, for, I don't know if you know, so will you know, because you have this podcast, the food industry in itself, it's something, it's definitely something. And <laughs> it is, it is, it is not for the faint at heart and it is not nowhere near a get rich scheme kind of kind of a thing to go to, you know? Um, and when you when you um, add to that, the concept of having a brick and mortar, oh my goodness, you know? So um, that's why he changed to what was another family business. Uh, and it was a commercial cleaning company. That's a company that his father had started on the main line. And he, you know, started inquiring about that. And, you know, his initial reason of course was to buy back some time with his family and to increase in some, some income. And that is where he really did make most of his uh, large month um, income at, with the commercial cleaning company. They still have a, a actively running commercial cleaning company. That is their their um, income source. The, the bakery is really is not. So um, that's kind of like the history there. So to bring me into the picture, 
I'm, of course, his daughter, his oldest daughter. And um, my background is in uh, 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 graphic design and marketing and elementary education. Totally different, too. I'll, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed on how it kind of connects now. <laughs> so I spent, I spent about 15 years in the um, freelance art world. I had a freelance art company. Um, so I was a freelance graphic artist for companies and I got this company that was a restaurant and this was like, maybe like 2008. Um, and so the rep there for the restaurant, I, they were just opening. They had nothing. They had no logo, no vision, no, no visual premise of their company at all. So for me to help them in the, in the passion that I had with that particular, um, degree that I was working with, I always wanted to work closely with the client. To, to make sure that the logo, the website, and everything match what they were about. And so that being said, I'm in the kitchen with the chef there. And um, I just, this whole passion emerged. Um, and really, I take it from me being already in a creative space. I was already in a creative space just being with marketing and design. That's creativity, too. And so I, was, I feel like I'm putting that same passion on a plate. Um, but it doesn't feel like work the way graphic arts did. Um, so the other key point to uh, mention there is that at the same time that I got that client, I had just had my first son, um, who was now 16, and he was diagnosed with um, seven food allergies. So I get this job, you know, this account, and working with them. In the meantime, at home in my private life, I'm already like trying to. I'm already in the in the, the um, web, uh, Whole Foods and Wegmans and those specialty stores trying to find creative ways to introduce him to food, but keeping in mind all of the things that he couldn't eat. Um, so I think that played a really integral factor in me finding this food passion, you know, kind of like the same time that all that happened. Um, so that being said, I stayed with that company for about 10 years. I, kept, I went from their marketing department over to um, head of catering, and then I branched off to my own company now. So I have a halal, I, I am in the food space 24-7. Uh, like my main income is food. So I have an online meal prep company called Halal To Go, and we're the only halal meal prep company in the country. Um, so that being said, me and my dad uh, were thinking to do something again together. We did it together uh, about 10 years ago off of Ridge Avenue. I was at a different space in my life, and, and he was too, more so with his company. Um, and then Really, the opportunity came because we, we, my mom noticed a vacant space in Jenkinson, and um, she mentioned it, and I was already, you know, I'm already in food. I have a prep kitchen and everything, so I said, well, you know, you know how, I, I was honest with them. I said, you know, you know how, how you guys, how I feel about a brick and mortar. It's a totally different entity, um, so, but if we're willing to do it together as a family, I'm all in. I'm all in for it because I love the area, the, the, the the location was a you know small and quaint one, and it really isn't any real baking in the area. So there's there's an actual need too, bakers rather bakeries. So um, I don't know if I've overstepped my the question that you asked me, or I should keep going. No, you're fine. You're very easy. And I don't know if Jean wants to ask a question. Um, so, what was the biggest difference? You know, when you open up your Jenkintown market from other businesses that you were in, uh, Jenkintown's kind of a, a unique, self-contained, clickish almost uh, area. You, you're breaking so, up a little bit. 
You said what was the biggest so difference? That was the only clear thing that I heard. Very self-contained, cliquish uh, neighborhood, you know, which has a history of some other bakeries and such. So moving in there, uh, was it just a natural, you know, you had products that people did not see before? You know, you've been very successful in your time there. What was that process like? Um, I'm so sorry. I did not hear you. It sounds what, very much. What was the process of uh, like going from your successful business into opening up uh, you, uh, the bakery? Okay. Um, well, you know, my business is, it's a niche business and it's food. And I think with bacon, um, there's a little less, even though there is high skill involved for sure, but it's a little bit more um, trainable and, less uh, perishable, like the food industry, um, and, and not so many ingredients. So, you know, when you throw sugar into the play, you know, it gives things a lot longer life than, um, you know, having eggs and dairy and things like that, not mixed with sugar, so to speak. So we wanted something that was a retail space because we have, he has a commercial cleaning company. I have a, a online meal prep company. Um, and then we have a lot of uh, different grandchildren and, and, and family members. So we wanted something that could be an heirloom family business too, where whether you had baking skill or even baking interest, there would be a, a position or an opportunity for you. You could just work a register. You can you can do something um, virtual, so so forth and so on. So a retail space, you know, um, was a thought there. Uh, so that's I guess that, I hope that answers your question. Um, I mean, I, I think that it a little bit does, but, um, I know that with, with, um, Ramadan coming up, uh, there's going to be fasting. So what, you know, are you guys, you know, prepping anything for specials for the fasting for, um, the, the morning meal and the evening meals that you, that you, uh, partake of? So, um, I don't know if you had noticed, but we actually announced that we're going to be closed. The baker's going to be closed for the month of Ramadan. We will be, we will have a limited schedule. So anybody coming to pick up, because you can pick up meal prep from Halal to go there too. If you order online, then that's considered to be a, a free pickup location. Um, if you don't want to have it shipped to you. So you can still pick up your orders if you're doing meal prep, which that being said, there's um, some adjusted menu items online for the meal prep uh, brand for uh, to add on options for breakfast and more high protein, high leafy green items than uh, carb friendly items because the month is, is definitely what everyone in the world sees is that it's fasting, but it's really a month of worship. And there's a lot of time um, and energy that, that should be catered towards additional worship more than you would have, what you would normally do. So that's the real, premise of it and also for reading the Quran, which the month the Quran was revealed in the month of Ramadan. And so the Quran is broken down into 30 sections so that you can complete the entire book within a month. And that's what's expected. So but of course that's something that that's time consuming. Um, so that being said, food is something that we're we are eating it before the sun comes up and when the sun goes down, but it shouldn't be a smorgasbord. It should be, you know, um kind of like a thought process of, of what you're eating so that you have the energy and the mind space, the mind strength to really give the month 
what it's really uh, what you're really supposed to be given to it in the worship sense, if that makes sense. Um, there is something called iftar. That's what it means to break. That, that's at the time of breaking the fast, and we will have one. We will have a, at least one of those uh, uh, from the bakery throughout the month that anybody can come to. So it's going to be grab and go, and you just come. You can pick up a meal and um, you know take it home to eat it, which is good. Now I know that um, you guys offer. You started the bakery. Um, started out as just a bakery and then they opened up into a deli. So what are some of the items that people can um, look forward to, you know, when they visit you, even like within the month of Ramadan, but also like outside of that as well? So we we don't have the deli portion. That's why we added the meal prep option. Um, It's still only that's something that needs to be changed in the signage, but we don't actually have the deli. But once we open and, and realize the, the interest and the high, um, you know, return for just the bakery side, we really like outgrew that little 300 square face space place already. Um, so to add uh, just the refrigeration and those things needed for to have a deli, which is totally different because now you have cheese, you have, you know, you have fresh things that have to come in every single day and be removed. So we decided not to do that component, at least not in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's an opportunity possibly that the space next door could be available. If that happens, then maybe we'll do the deli there. But for right now, we're not doing the deli. So you have the baked goods and then you have your the meal prep options. We usually have a feature entree available every week from the meal prep uh, online service. So like um, hot honey, chicken and waffles, that'll be available in store. And there's a soup that's available every week too. Ah, that's nice. Um, and I'm I'm guess, gonna guess that the soup is a rotating option. Yes, it's a rotating a feature soup every week. Yes, usually you usually it's something with me and, and a vegan option also. That's good too. Good to know because I know that there's a lot of people who abstain from eating um, meat. You know, they're vegetarians or vegans. So I'm you know glad to know that there's those options as well. Yeah, that's that's a big piece that I bring to the table too because I'm. Um, I'm big into to, uh, veggies and plant-based items. Like that's that's what my site has available to it, the meal prep brand. Yeah. So um, how have you noticed like in, cause I believe it's been a year since, uh, like coming up on a year since the Jenkintown location opened up? Uh, two years, yeah, we're, we're over a year. We're into our second year now. The 22nd of January was the first year. And how has the neighborhood like acclimated to um, to your business? And you have you seen a lot of like word of mouth or foot traffic um, based on on the neighborhood? Because I know Jenkintown is such a like bustling little little town. It's almost like a little micro city in in and of itself. So how Absolutely. yes, yeah, so how have you seen the community um, embrace this business? Oh, very much so. I mean, if it wasn't for the community, like 95% of our customer base is right there within a five mile radius, you know? Um, so I feel like the community is, is, is a very positive. They, uh, people always post, you know, after coming, how they feel about it, what they like. Um, uh, and even just the, the county, the township and everything are very, very accommodating, very helpful. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's a good response for sure. 
Now, out of all the menu items that you your family creates, what what are some of your favorites? Uh, I would say the the high sellers don't ask me my favorites, okay? Because I'm not really a sugar fanatic, just to be transparent. <laughs> I know that's an oxymoron, but you know, you go to my site a lot ago, you'll kind of see why. I, I have a whole different mission with food, but um, I'll say the most popular are the sweet potato pie and a carrot cake. And those are truly good products. I won't give my dad those are, he's definitely got a gift there with those. Those are, that, that carrot cake is very, very unique. Um, usually when you get carrot cakes, um, he will always say this to me, but I didn't really know what he meant. And he would say, it's not really a carrot cake, it's a spice cake with a couple of carrots in it. <laughs> and, you know, when he was really making it, you know, when we started making it for the bakery and I could actually see the process more. I see what he means. Like it has a lot of riches and it has nuts and it has pineapples and it has, has shredded, fresh shredded carrots in it. So he doesn't use anything packaged, anything canned, anything frozen. And that does carry over, um, you know, very much so into the product and the quality of the product. So that's definitely, a, that is a, a, a banner product. That carrot cake is definitely a banner product. That, so that and the sweet potato pie and it's the brown sugar cookies. Those are highly popular too. Yeah. Now, in the last minute that we have you um, on the show, can you let our listeners know where to find you, where to find your business, and where to find um, your family's business? Okay, yes, absolutely. You can reach both Bilal's Bakery and Halal To Go online at the at our website, www.bilalsbakery.com. The, the uh, brick and mortar, the actual physical bakery is in Jenkintown at 723 West Avenue in Jenkintown, PA. And we're like right across from West Avenue Grill. Um, also follow us on Instagram at Bilal's Bakery Cafe or Facebook at Bilal's Bakery. And yeah. All right. I thank you for this. I really thank you for this time and even finding us to, to do such a thing. No problem. Thank you for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. You as well. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. I am very happy to bring on Jacob Looney, who is the, and it's a long title, everyone, so be prepared, the Director of Visitors um, Experiences at New Liberty Distilling. So, Jacob, what is, I mean, <laughs> we already discussed this a little bit, but yeah. let our listener, listeners know what you what you actually do for the company. Don't make you laugh. That's actually the, the shortened title of what my old title used to be. Uh, <laughs> to give everybody kind of a, a brief entry. Also, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk with everyone uh, about the distillery. So I am basically the guy that manages anything that has to do with anyone that goes into the distillery that doesn't work there. Uh, so we have a director of operations who's everything with production and then my ends, anything with folks being in the building. Uh, so whether that's our bottle shop, programs that we do, tours, uh, and then our, our multiple bar programs, even the the website experience that falls under my my purview and, and leadership. Uh, so it's a lot, a lot of different hats that I wear. It's everything from like one day I'm your tour guide, the next day I'm your bar manager, the next day I'm gonna be uh, you know, working on the website. So it's just a little bit of everything. So if we like, say somebody wanted to throw a private party and include a tour, they would, you know, reach out to New Liberty, but they would direct you, pro the individual to you. 
Exactly. Yeah. You, you'd end up in, in my inbox for sure. Uh, and then we do have some team members that I would kind of guide and follow you through through our events coordination team and whatnot. Uh, but the private events are great. We have three different spaces that we rent out. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity. With that, we try to always keep a space open so that anyone coming in for the public, there's always going to be something to do at the distillery. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to delve a little bit into the business. I don't know how much of the history you actually um, ha know, because the different, li like, the more I actually researched, the more I was like, oh, this is confusing. Yeah, <laughs> it is layered and complex for sure. It 100% is layered and complex. <laughs> Um, and it's funny because it's, you know, you're, you're, the owners are both, you know, distillers from previous or, you know, they not, I shouldn't say previous because they both still distill at those locations um, and own them. I know, I'm assuming, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but they, they, they joined forces and collaborated together in order to um, create the, the new distillery or um, new Liberty distillery. If I'm correct. So it's, it's complex in our realm of that we have a lot of different brands and house names. Uh, the overarching company is Millstone Spirits Group, who started by the gentleman that you're referring to. Uh, Robert Castle is the, the primary president and, and CEO right now at the time. He's also started off as the main distiller and is now like the primary creative driven force behind all the products that we make. Underneath that, you have two big houses. You have the New Liberty House, which is the location in Philadelphia, and then we have the Faber House, which is a location out in Quakertown, PA. Uh, one side focuses much more on flavored vodkas and well spirits for uh, people in the industry, and the New Liberty side focuses a little bit more on craft uh, whiskey, rums, and then some other clear spirits and liqueurs that we do. Hmm. Even within those house brands, though, you have I can rattle off them. 10 different brands under each of them. Uh, the one folks might know the most well or have seen on shelves before is a brand called Kinsey. And that in itself is a brand that dates back to the 1890s and has a kaleidoscope of owners and distributors, people that were managing it and locations. And so just as complex as we are now today. Uh, what's kind of cool though is our, the main guy, Robert Castle, who I mentioned before, the president, uh, he grew up just outside of where Kinsey used to be distilled and was operated out in Linfield, PA. And so they shut down in the 80s and just sat vacant, abandoned. It was filled, too, with old Kinsey swag, boxes, merchandise, barrels. And so being a teenage kid, he spent a lot of time just, like, rummaging around this old distillery, you know, buying some really cool stuff, fell in love with the brand. And then after moving on from his previous distillery, which was focused on gin and other clear spirits, he was like, all right. I'm going to relaunch this brand. I'm going to make it happen. Acquired the rights. Actually got his hands on some original Kinsey bottles and put a big effort towards bringing this brand back to what it was in its heyday in the 1940s. So a lot of history to unpack there. But. Yeah, and it's funny because I was at um, the Reading Terminal Market, which has a new um, uh, allowance of selling liquor mm -hmm. um and i forget the name of the actual place but it's funny because i took a picture of it but when i was in there i was you know taking photos and one of the salespeople, you know was showing people or other people around there and they were looking for recommendations and funny enough one of the things that they recommended was Kinsey. And now I was unfamiliar with Kinsey at the time. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. And so having it tied around now, I was like, that it's Kismet. 
right? <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, we find a way to be just about everywhere we can in Pennsylvania. Uh, the one place uh, you're remembering is uh, called Pennsylvania Libations. So That's they have their primary brick and mortars out in Pittsburgh, and we've actually been working with them as a distributor and to use some of our satellite licenses to launch these small little brick and mortar shops, which is interesting as a counterpoint to what I mean, most folks just think you have to go to fine wine in Pittsburgh to get any liquor in the state of PA. Uh, but as a distillery, you can operate as a bottle shop and sell other distilled products in PA. Uh, so the PA Libations team, they're a really, really cool shop. They just sell Pennsylvania-made products. Um, and so we get to be one of their, their featured ones at the, the Philadelphia location in Ready Terminal Market. Yeah, and it's definitely, they, I mean, props to them because they definitely pointed you out. Oh, cool. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> they're a really cool team. So I try to be there as much as I can to say hey and, and make sure they know the products well and they, they like them just as much as I do. So Yeah. Now, I know um, you, I think it was last year, you guys uh, partnered up with Malcolm Je- Jenkins yeah. um, to create a, a whiskey that's um, like black and brown driven farm, like from the ingredients that go into it, black and brown farmers. So mm-hmm. um, I I didn't see anything in my research with the outcome of that. And I don't know if that's because it's still sitting in a barrel being, you know, fermented, but um, can you tell a little bit more about that partnership? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Malkin and Roth, they go way back. Uh, they started off with the Malkin Children's Foundation, working with them with their yearly annual fundraiser to do a, uh, a VIP tour experience. Uh, Malkin's a whiskey, whiskey drinker himself, so bringing folks along and kind of seeing the full process, he fell in love with it. Uh, and him and Rob started collaborating on ideas of like just what type of whiskey he would envision as something that would best represent himself. Um, and the big thing that we they landed on is that they, they wanted to source from a, a local farmer that was uh, black and brown owned, and that's really where they're at right now. Still, is looking for that that local farm that they can work with for that grain. Uh, the biggest challenge when launching uh, an actual distilled product that is farm to glass is that that process of making sure that they have enough of that crop set to make sure that we can continue this on, that we can grow with the product. And so I know they're, they're, they have met with some farmers, but they're still looking to, to find that source of grain. Uh, but I know he likes bourbon, so if you guys are excited about bourbon, get ready because a couple of I, years we'll have a cool one. I love bourbon, and I actually have a name to throw at you af- yeah. <laughs> off, after we finish this interview um, who can probably help you out with that. So. Okay, cool. Yeah. But um, moving moving forward, um, I want to also mention the fact that we brought you on specifically because um, National Whiskey Day um, mm-hmm. is coming up. So I want to just like, do you guys have anything um, at the ready to celebrate, you know, in one of your tasting rooms per se, or, you know, any deals that you might be offering? Uh, we always have some type of really cool, like, whiskey package that's put together that people can purchase on International Whiskey Day. Uh, I remember last year we had this one that was a, you get three different bottles of whiskey, and it was called the Maverick set. And it was kind of your whiskeys that don't follow the traditional track of what you might expect of like, oh, here's another Kentucky bourbon, or here is a another rye on the shelf. Uh, so that one was our American whiskey, which is a, basically a bourbon that breaks a lot of the rules of being a bourbon. Uh, it was our Kinsey Zinfandel cask, which is a uh, previously aged in bourbon cask and then aged in red Zinfandel barrels. And then it was another whiskey that is called our Bloody Butcher bourbon, 
which utilizes a locally grown heirloom variety of corn called Bloody Butcher Corn. It mm. is unlike any bourbon I've ever had before. It is savory, it is rebellious, it is bold and upfront. And so that was a really cool package to put together. Uh, I'm thinking we'll have similar things. Uh, our whiskey list has expanded, so it's going to be on my my deck this week to figure out some creative package options that we can put together that will get people excited and you know be able to take home a little bit of a bundle package of yeah. our, our spirits. I mean, I, I love bourbons. Um, I, I'm temperamental, or I should say my palate's very temperamental with whiskeys that, mm-hmm. you know, cause the bite of the, the PD bite. Um, but like the smoothness, cause bourbons obviously are just fermented for a little bit longer and they have that, um, more smooth, like, uh, pl- profile on your palate, which makes it easier for me to, to take in. Um, but I just kind of like it also because it's the smoothness, but it's also like the caramelization from, oh, from yeah. ferment. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but, we um, have a, a lot of different bourbons right now in our, our portfolio. So if you're a, a bourbon drinker, you got to drop by because we do different flights and different ways that you can experience and enjoy it in the tasting room. And that's like, I think key too, to like mention, because, you know, I, I, infrequently I think I don't always think about this when when I think of distilleries but you do you can get flights at distilleries but Mm -hmm. one of the things that you guys also offer is cordials and liqueurs oh yeah uh that's one of our our really interesting lines that's always shifting and swaying depending on the seasons uh so right now they just got in a a huge crop of blackberries that have been macerating in like 190 proof alcohol for the past couple weeks uh they're going to slightly sweeten it with mulberry juice and cane sugar and then we're going to be having our, our new version of the blackberry bramble coming out probably in the next two weeks or so uh we just released a sour cherry liqueur uh we have some really odds and ends in there there's one that we did called creme de violette which okay. is you'll you might have seen it on the shelf before it's a tall bottle normally bright purple color to it and incredible botanical flavor profile uh it's made with forest fruit as an extraction to give that kind of earthy blossomy uh rose flavor uh what's fun though is when you put in cocktails especially if you add a citric element to it it'll Mm. actually change colors in the glass so you get this kind of magic trick as you're making a cocktail for people so they see it go in one color and they see it come out this beautiful shade of purple it's a lot of fun that sounds like a lot of fun, but also like you should get like, ed- like if you're going to like really like take it up a notch, get some edible sugar and like say for like um, Easter or something like to bring, you know, add an, a differential um, to to the cocktail, maybe add a little bit of the, the edible sugar in so that when you pour that citrus in maybe do it in front of like the people tasting sitting there at the tasting. And so it kind of blooms before their like eyes. That. Yeah. Giving you ideas. <laughs> um, so I mean, I, I don't want to like overtake any anything, but um, so what are you also have a connection to um look uh whiskeys overseas as well. Absolutely. It's pretty wild. Uh, Kinsey, that brand that we had mentioned before, they actually had a scotch that they launched in the 1960s. Uh, the owner at the time recognized that single malts were becoming a burgeoning trend and actually launched several distillery locations in Scotland for the purpose of being able to enjoy scotch that he got his hands on, but also to be able to import it back so you could put the word Kinsey, call it scotch legally, have it distilled there, but be a Kinsey product. 
And so we've actually done something similar. We have our own Kinsey Scotch. So we work with that distillery and they do a custom blend profile for us. Uh, but what's even cooler is that on the other side of that, that area of the world, we also have an Irish whiskey that we pull over. Uh, so that guy, Rob, that I mentioned, he is quite the entrepreneur, uh, has a lot of distilleries that he's worked with, but he actually helped launch a distillery in Connacht, uh, Ireland. They have just released their own single malt, but they have their own wine and family of whiskeys and are kind enough to send some over for us to enjoy as well. <laughs> so it's pretty cool that on our, our menu, you know, you can come in. We love to make classics for people. And one of the most classic options you can do is old fashioned. And so folks can actually take a look at our entire shelf of whiskeys and be like, all right, make me a custom old fashioned with that one up there. And so you can jump around the world and do a Scotch old fashioned, Irish old fashioned, urban old fashioned. You might go super traditional or Rhine old fashioned. We'll do it all. Uh, so it's really cool to kind of have this you know, little global net of flavor profiles that we can work with and introduce folks to and you know, definitely educate on as well. Yeah. And, uh, and definitely 100% celebrate International Whiskey Day on mm -hmm. the 27th of this month um, at, your, at your bar doing tastings yeah. from around the globe. <laughs> mm -hmm. One of my uh, favorite cocktails that we have on the menu is called the Cameron's Kick. And yeah. this one normally is a blend of Irish whiskey, scotch, orgeat, and lemon juice. It's kind of like um, a tiki sour with whiskey. Uh, we take it that step further, though, and throw in some American whiskey with that. So you have this trifecta of whiskeys going in there to create this beautiful blend of flavor profiles that is creamy and just enough sour to pull through. It still has a whiskey sour, but you have all those elements of what whiskey has to offer. It's, it's one of my favorite drinks on the menu right now. Gotcha. Now, I have to say that I am a huge fan of um, Manhattans and old fashions. <laughs> so what do you do to tweak like an old fashioned? Speaking of fashion, I mean, ultimately, with that being the biggest amount that goes into that drink, the whiskey is going to be your main character that is going to shine outward. Uh, one of our, I would say, our, our most unique cocktails that we have on the menu is a 136 proof old fashioned. <laughs> so we have this one whiskey that is a 15 year American blend uh, whiskey. So it was a uh, corn whiskey that went into a previously used bourbon barrel that still had bourbon in it dating back to the 1990s. Uh, that sat in Philadelphia from 2004 until around uh, November or so of last year. We only had so many barrels left, so we decided let's put them all together, let's drop it, whatever the proof is, that's what's gonna be in the bottle. It came out just a little bit over 136 proof and being the crazy guy that I am, uh, you know, the last thing I'm doing really stands true to my personality. I was like, let's make a drink with this. <laughs> uh, so we did an old fashioned with it, but our first take on it was like, okay, this is, this is good, but like something's missing. We need to like up the ante on this. So normally you're thinking old fashioned and you got classic recipe, bitters, sugar, water, whiskey. Those yeah. are your, your classic your basics. Specs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This one, we up the ante what they were referred to in the 19th century as an improved old-fashioned. Uh, so there's a couple da uh, dashes of absinthe in it. Oh. Uh, it's a mix of Peychaud and Angostura bitters. And then the syrup that we use our sugar, we actually make from a golden monkey ale. Okay. So we turn that into essentially a cordial. So it retains that proof. We're not cooking off any alcohol in this experiment. Uh, use that as the, the syrup to balance all those warm kind of caramel vanilla notes of that 136 proof whiskey. Calm yeah. it down with just a little bit of chill and dilution. And it is like 
one of the smoothest drinks we have on the menu. You take a sip of it and you have no idea that it is 136 proof whiskey and it's the thing of magic that it works as well as it does. So one last question and it's yep. a yes or a no. Okay. Um, because it's such a high proof, do you limit how many um, you allow somebody to drink? Uh, Covertly, yes. <laughs> it's one that I tell my bar team, you can push that by another person. Because <laughs> they're, they're incredibly easy to sit back and like before you know it, you're like, all right, let's do round three. Um, I haven't gone the, the Trader Vic style of putting on the menu of a limited two. Um, that might strike a more curiosity about the cocktail if I do. But we do keep a, a, a sharp eye on those that are ordering them. <laughs> yeah, I would I would totally <laughs> recommend doing that. Um, yeah. Now, for anybody who is looking to actually, you know, take have a tasting and, you know, purchase some of your products, where can they find you in person and online? Yeah, um, online's the easiest. Just head to www.distillery.com. On our shop page, you'll find any of the newest spirits. Also on our, our social media profiles, our Facebook and Instagram, you'll see all the latest stuff that is coming out. If you want to come hang out with us and bring some whiskey, I would recommend doing one of our private tours. Uh, there, we do have one option where you actually get the taste from a barrel. You get the taste directly from the still. It's a really, really cool experience, and we can book it whenever time is best for you. Uh, if you're looking to come hang out and have a drink, try some funky cocktails with me. Uh, Thursdays through Saturdays right now is when we're operating. And it's from 2 o'clock until 11 o'clock. All right. Thank you very much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And I look forward to some of the new uh, products that are coming out because yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You got to come by. I'll make you that 136 proof of national. See what you think. I will hold you to that. <laughs> All right. And for anybody who would like to tune in and hear the hear the show, you can follow us online um, at Food Farms and Chefs. If you would like to uh, reach out to Gene Blum, he is at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. If you would like to reach out to myself to be a guest or a sponsor on the show, you can email me at arpolicus at, at gmail.com. And happy Tuesday, everyone. Happy Tuesday, guys. <laughs> <laughs>